You have discovered the Felon File. Felonfile.com is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Felon File is hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author, and researcher. The Shade of Blue Stories for Felon File today. One to unidentified murder victims in North Carolina and other cold cases. Just what is a cold case? A cold case is a crime, or a suspected that has not been fully resolved, and not presently being investigated. New information could emerge from new witness testimony. Re-examined case files, discovered evidence, as well as new activities or actions of the suspect, are reviewed and used. New technology developed after the crime was committed can be used on original evidence to analyze it for new clues, sending investigators in new directions. Scott looks at several still-open investigations from the 1960s to today. Background Music. Hard-boiled hosted by Purple Planet. Scott. You're online. N. Thank you, Victoria, for opening us up and getting us going here. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Felon File, a podcast where we look at and discuss law enforcement issues, incidents, crimes, histories, the good guys, the bad guys, the ones that got away, the ones that got caught, and punishment, and etc., Our podcast for today, we're looking at some cold cases. I received this information from a retired detective uh, who is out on the coast of North Carolina right now. What he sent me was a brief rundown on some cold cases in the state of North Carolina that he was familiar with. One in particular that he had worked closely on himself and one from the Asheville North Carolina area, my stomping grounds that I'm familiar with and I know the detectives and worked with the detectives that were that were assigned to that investigation and I've got a quick interview with one of the detectives that was working the case. We'll play that as well. We're going to start out with a 1968 cold case that happened in Wake County, North Carolina. This is a Wake County Jane Doe, which is even worse. We don't know who the victim is. Thus, we know there is no closure for the family or anybody that may be missing this victim. April 27, 1968. A, a woman was witnessed by two other women walking down a road near, walking down a road in a farming community in the eastern part of North Carolina. Our two witnesses later reported a fire burning in a field. Naturally assumed that the farmer was doing some burning or clearing of the property. The next day when they investigated on their morning walks, they found the body of a woman. She was estimated to be between 35 and 45 years old approximately 5 feet 3 inches tall and weighed 130 pounds. 
She had black hair with hints of dark brown and gray in it. The SBI report states that she had small ears. She was wearing a green and white polka dot dress with a zipper, brown Italian loafers, a greenish blue all-weather coat with a gray lining, and the remains of her undergarments were left behind as well. Various items were also found with the body, including a pair of bifocal glasses, an expensive transistor radio, remember this is 1968, various cosmetic items, and the remnants of a wireframe glass mirror, and a possible greenish-blue hairnet. A prime suspect in the case died in 1992, unfortunately. When investigators interviewed the man, he claimed that he and a friend had witnessed the body, but when they came back, she had vanished. The man planted and grew tobacco in Canada, leading the investigators to believe that the woman was not native to the state of North Carolina. The whereabouts of the remains of the woman are unfortunately currently unknown. However, hair and blood samples were taken before she was interned and are still listed as evidence with the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. I'm not sure whether DNA samples in that particular case have been entered into the National CODIS data system or into any of the private databases that are very helpful in identifying John and Jane Doe victims. Our next case is a John Doe from Ardell County, North Carolina. On September 19, 1975, the burned body of a young African-American male was found wrapped in blankets on an unpaved road leading to the Midway Family Campground in Ardell County, North Carolina. I've stayed at that campground. I actually did not know about the body, about a body being found on the the road coming in. Most of the body had been burned, but the face had been relatively preserved. He was estimated to be between 25 and 40 years old, was approximately 5 feet 10 inches tall, and weighed about 150 pounds. He had black hair with a full beard and mustache, and he was found with fragments of blue denim trousers that they traced to being Navy issue. A belt with a metal buckle and fragments of a white t-shirt and one blue sneaker. Uh, the man's body was later cremated and buried at sea. They made the assumption that he was a sailor and some of the veterans in Ardell County made arrangements for his burial even though they don't have an identity for this gentleman. Staying in the 1970s we have another Unfortunately, another young African-American male in Burnswick County, North Carolina. This young man was found floating in the Burnswick River in Leland, North Carolina. He was found wrapped in burlap with loops tied around his wrist and neck, indicating a homicide, of course. Investigators believe that the man was alive when he was thrown into the river and may have tried to escape, but was unable to. He He's estimated to be between the age of 18 and 30 years old. He was 5'9 and weighed approximately 112 pounds, according to the record. He had black hair and, and mild scoliosis, which might be a, a strong indicating factor of who he is. 
He was only found clothed in a pair of blue socks. The body was found to be dumped upriver from where it was found, possibly in the Cape Fear River, in or near Elizabethton, or maybe even Fayetteville. Now moving up a little bit to 1990, September 19th, 1990, I remember when this happened. The decomposed body of a female, estimated to have been dead between three and six days, was found by some construction workers on September 19th, 1990, at a location in Hillsborough, Orange County, North Carolina. As the remains were found near the, the New Hope church exit, the victim ended up being nicknamed Hope. The victim was a Caucasian female between the ages of 14 and 25, and more likely uh, detectives felt that she was between 18 and 22 at the time of her death. She was found clothed only in a pink shirt decorated with three cartoon rabbits, two riding bicycles and one riding a unicycle. She had unusually clean socks but no shoes on, indicating that she had probably worn shoes prior to her death, uh, likely around uh, size 6 is what the record shows, but they had been removed either before or after death. She was between 5 foot 3 and 5 foot 5 inches in height and weighed about 115 pounds. She had a ring on and a bracelet, both of them were made from metal. Jane Doe had shoulder-length brown or strawberry blonde hair with streaks that appeared to have been frosted blonde and was cut in layers. She had also un undergone surgery to remove an appendix at some point in her life as a scar was noted on her abdomen. Dental cavities are found on the victim's teeth, yet she had had some dental treatment in life as some restorations, fillings, and fixings of things had been observed on examination. The victim's wisdom teeth had not yet erupted, which gives the indication about of approximate age. They had developed, but they hadn't come through the gum line yet. Other examinations of the remains indicated she did not appear to have ever broken or fractured a bone in her life. Days before the remains were found, a female matching the description of the deceased was seen walking along Interstate 85 near the city of Burlington. And it's possible that this female was hitchhiking. Damage to the victim's neck indicated she was likely strangled to death. The case was ruled as a homicide, and one unfortunately that has yet to be solved. Another Jane Doe from the 1990s, Onslow County. On December 2nd, 1991, the skull, just the skull of a young white woman was found by a group of hunters in a wooded area in Hubert, North Carolina. The rest of her skeleton was later found about 40 yards away from the skull. The cause of death was undetermined, but presumed to be a homicide. She may have been deceased between one and three years. She was estimated by anthropologists to have been between 20 and 30 years old and approximately five feet one inch tall. Weight, hair color, eye color, we just from the skeletal remains can't be determined. She may have had a back or neck problem and testing did show she had a degenerative bone disease that may have been unknown to her. She was found wearing 
or what was left of wearing a gray brown crew neck sweater with gold thread, stretch pants, and a pair of white slip-on shoes. In 2009, possible leads indicating she may have been from Florida and Texas were investigated, but they didn't show any results. Investigators today believe during the fall or winter due to the clothing that was found. Uh, they opened up the case again in 2020 to conduct other testing and forensic DNA analysis. A 2,500 reward is currently being offered for information leading to her identity. And if you have information on this particular case, or actually any unsolved murder case in North Carolina, you can contact the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation with your information at 1-800-334-3000. A Jane Doe that was found in Sampson County, North Carolina, uh, with Hispanic characteristics, was found on July 20th, 1999, approximately two weeks to two months after her death, according to investigators. The body was badly decomposed, but the cause of death was determined to be a stab wound in the neck. The remains were found near a migrant labor camp, mainly consisting of Hispanic individuals, including, uh, including women. Victim was aged between 17 and 24 years old, 5 feet 4 to 5 feet 7 inches tall. She weighed about 110 pounds. When she was discovered, she had on a black spaghetti strap top, a blue bra, and green, and green jeans. Sandals and a yellow watch were also found at the scene. Her fingernails were painted blue at one point, and she had curly reddish hair. Uh, she was not likely a smoker and had no dental cavities, although some wear was observed on her lower teeth, which indicates, according to what I understand, that her diet didn't include a lot of sugar, but was a very coarse diet, probably of something that wore her teeth down. In 2008, the day before Christmas, a the skeletal remains of a male subject was found. It was determined to be a young white male and it was found in a wooded area of Charlotte, North Carolina. It was estimated by the medical examiner's office to be an individual between 18 and 30 years of age. About 5 feet 5, maybe 5 feet 10 inches tall. Uh, no clothing was recovered with the remains. He had died approximately three years before his discovery. And the investigators there are looking at it as a looking at it as a homicide. The organization DNA Doe Project was asked to assist with the identification uh, last year in 2020, and that is still ongoing. Another Mecklenburg County or Charlotte, North Carolina. Jane Doe this time was found in 2011. The partial skeletal remains of a young white or Hispanic woman were found in the wooded area again in Charlotte. It's estimated that she's between 20 and 30 years old 
and had been deceased between one to three years, which is interesting as the John Doe we just talked about was also estimated to be about that age and deceased about that time frame. She was found wearing a pair of blue jeans and a white t-shirt with Virginia Beach, Virginia printed on it and a pink flower printed on the front, a black bra and a pair of navy plaid canvas boat shoes which were actually a boy's size four. There is a sketch of her likeness that was created in 2016 and the case is being investigated as a homicide and once more the Charlotte Police Department has asked the DNA Doe Project organization to assist them with a possible identification. Now our detective friend from the beach also sent also sent me some information on a couple of homicides that we do know the individual who the individual is. One of those is Chance Douglas Smith who passed away on 12-13 of 2003 in Locust, North Carolina and Stanley County. On Saturday the 13th of December 2003, about 3.49 or so, six-year-old Chance Douglas Smith was reported missing from his grandfather's residence located in Locust, North Carolina. Volunteers, police, and firefighters searched for Chance and located him around 11, 11.30 p.m. that night in a pasture near the residence where he had last been seen. The body was transported to Memorial Hospital. He was still alive when he was located, but he died early in the morning hours of Sunday, December 14th. The investigation revealed that Chance was killed in a location other than the horse pasture where the body was found. The North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations was requested to assist and SBI agents conducted numerous interviews and continued to pursue leads as they arose. This is still an open investigation and if you do have information on what happened to six-year-old Chance Douglas Smith, contact the Locust Police Department Area code 704-888-4744. If you got any information on this case, or again, you can contact the State Bureau of Investigation at their 800 number of 334-3000. Another child abduction and murder. This one occurred on January 7, 1998 in Hope County, North Carolina, southeastern part of the state. I believe this was the one that our detective friend was had worked at one point. On the morning of Wednesday, January 7, 1998, as she stood waiting for a school bus to pick her up, five-year-old Brittany Locklear was abducted from outside her home on Granary Road in Hope County. After a very extensive search, her body was located the following day in a drainage ditch next to a farm road about three miles from where she was last seen alive waiting for her bus. Physical evidence from both the crime scenes was forwarded to the State Bureau of Investigation Laboratory for processing. After reviewing the evidence at the crime scene, tire tracks, and interviewing a lot of 
individuals who may have seen something. Investigators believe the offender was driving a full-size pickup truck of unknown color. Hundreds of leads provided by the public were investigated and still are being investigated. Police there are continuing to seek the public's help for any information, however seemingly unimportant, really, or whether it's already been reported, uh, that anything that might lead to the identity of the person or persons responsible for the abduction and the murder of five-year-old Brittany Lynn Locklear. You can also contact the State Bureau of Investigation in reference to that case as well at the 800 number 334-3000. Currently there is a $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and convictions of people that may have been responsible or that were responsible for the murder of Brittany Lynn Locklear. Our next open cold case that was forwarded to me is a case from May 6, 1985. A laboratory technician at Anson County Hospital in Waynesboro, North Carolina, arrived in the parking lot of, of the hospital at about 10.51 p.m. to start her third shift at 11 o'clock. Once she arrived at the emergency room entrance, the victim was confronted by an unknown assailant. She was shot five times at close range. Six 22 caliber shell casings were recovered nearby. Uh, the shots were heard by residents nearby and by hospital staff at about 10.45 p.m. The victim was found lying by her vehicle with items from her pocketbook scattered all across the pavement. Two days later, a railroad employee in Wadesboro, North Carolina, found a 22 caliber rifle laying near the railroad tracks under the highway of Highway 109 North Bridge, about almost four miles from the hospital. Uh, the weapon was subsequently submitted to the North Carolina SBI for ballistic tests, and both of the shell casings that were found with the rifle and the bullets recovered from the victim indicated a positive match. The weapon was traced back to a local resident who came forward after hearing in the news about the weapon being found. The individual had, report, had reported the 22 rifle being stolen to the Wadesboro Police Department in November of 84, the year before the homicide occurred. The rifle apparently had been removed from his truck. Bunch of leads were followed and the suspect was developed and there was in, but there really was insufficient evidence to charge anyone and it's believed the victim was shot during an apparent robbery attempt. Most likely the suspect or suspects are local residents there and there is a strong likelihood the suspect acted alone. As I mentioned, these Investigators do have a possible person of interest in this. They just need enough evidence in order to make the case. And if you have any information that might help them make that case and give some closure to the family, please contact the uh, Wadesboro Police Department. Now the case that I'm familiar with, this occurred in Asheville, North Carolina. An offense happened on in 1987. This is the homicide of Pamela Michelle Murray. It happened in Asheville, 
North Carolina in Buncombe County in the Western District of the state. And the agency that I was, the agency I retired from. And like I said, I had some indirect involvement in this investigation that I really can't go into because it is an open investigation. But I do have a recording I'll play for you of an interview with the main investigator, Detective Kevin Taylor, now retired. On Saturday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1987, Pamela Murray disappeared from the parking lot of the Asheville Mall here in Western North Carolina. Her body was discovered later that same day, Valentine's Day, on River Road, an isolated section of River Road back just behind the Asheville Recreation Park and Nature Center or Nature Center or the zoo. Miss Murray's Oldsmobile Tornado was used to transport her to the location and it appears that she was shot while attempting to get away from whoever was assaulting her. Her Oldsmobile vehicle was returned to the mall parking lot but it ended up being parked in a different section of the mall from where she had normally parked at where she was abducted from. Now several individuals looked at it in this case including convicted murderer Richard Allen Jackson who was sentenced to death in the murder of Karen Stiles near a popular park outside of Asheville on October 31st 1994. The jury was out for about an hour before they came back with a verdict, pronounced him guilty and then gave him the death penalty. Assistant District Attorney uh, Kate Dreer wonderful lady, a fantastic district attorney, if I do say my, so myself, who is retired now, felt very strongly that there was a good possibility Richard Jackson might have been involved in Pamela Murray's death. And that was just one of two unsolved homicides of women that occurred in the Asheville area and about that workable time frame that, that Jackson was looked at as being possibly involved with or being a suspect in. Murray was an industrial engineer, was 23 years old when she was abducted from the parking lot of the mall there on Valentine's Day. She had gunshot wounds to her head and back and again was found on a deserted road near Oteen, North Carolina or inside the city limits of Asheville. There is a reward still out there for information leading to the arrest of a suspect in Pamela Murray's case. If you have information, and of course contact the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation at their 1-800 number, 334-3000, uh, or you can contact the Asheville Police Department, which would be my recommendation, to contact them at area code 828-259. You can contact the Asheville Police Department through their Facebook uh, page as well as a new system that got set up last year, an anonymous text tip hotline by simply texting the keyword TIP to APD and then add your message to it. And again, this is really only for non-emergency information that they want to, that needs to be passed along to the Asheville Police Department. Or you can contact the non-emergency number at 828-252-1110.
252-1110. And as I promised, I have a quick interview with uh, Detective Kevin Taylor I'm going to play for you now, talking about the Pamela Murray case and uh, talking a little bit about the Pamela Murray case. Asheville cold case detective Kevin Taylor is working. You know, we want to see justice served. In each of these binders is a murder unsolved. Amber Lundgren, homicide from 1997. Pam Murray, homicide from 1987. Virginia Olson, the UNCA student found slain in 1973. The binders only have so much information, but in each case, DNA evidence could hold the key. Detective Taylor begins with Amber's tragic tale Friday, June 6th. Well, that occurred in June of 1997. She died from a single stab wound to the neck. The last we had been able to determine, Amber was seen leaving barcode shortly after 3 a.m. Another case is that of 23-year-old Pam Murray. Pam, with a wide grin seen in this old newspaper clipping, was abducted from the Asheville Mall in 1987. She had gone to the mall that day uh, to pick up a Valentine's gift for her boyfriend. And unfortunately, she just ran into the wrong person. And her body was found that same day, also on the Zellia Road in East Asheville, where she was shot and killed. And then her vehicle was returned to the Asheville Mall. Even farther back is the case of UNCA student Virginia Olson. Virginia sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. While each case is old, Detective Kevin Taylor says all three have viable DNA that could be retested in hopes of matching a suspect. That's where the SBI's new cold case detective unit comes in. They will encourage the local law enforcement agencies to say, hey, let's sit down and look at this case again, and look, let's go look at your evidence. Let's get it all out again and see what we can resubmit or submit, initially submit, to the crime laboratory for DNA analysis. Asheville police hope to resubmit DNA in all three cases. With Amber Lundgren, Detective Taylor says a rape kit was done. Yes, it was. And you still have that evidence? Yes. I think this case is one of, of probably several that we have that we're hoping that we could work with the SBI on, on this project. In some cases, SBI funding is available for testing at specialty labs. Two former SBI homicide detectives are reviewing cases around the Asheville area. A total of eight detectives involved in the SBI cold case unit statewide. Detectives reviewing lab reports, crime scene photos, interviews, and evidence to pursue one thing, justice. That's it for our short sh collection of Shade of Blue stories that if you have some information on, or you've heard a rumor, it would be greatly appreciated, I know, by the investigators that still work these open cases. If you could contact them and maybe pass along this information. And I've given you several methods of... In the meantime, in the coming weeks, until we come back next Saturday at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time here in the United States, remember, be safe and be secure. If you have the opportunity, try to do something nice for somebody. It's really the right thing to do, and if more people did good things, the world would be a better place, and or your community would be a better place. So, remember, it's the right thing to do. Again, be safe, be secure. If you need to get a hold of us, you can contact either me or Victoria with information that you'd like to pass along as possible future Shade of Blue stories. You can get us at felonfile at gmail.com 
or contact us through our website, felonfile.com or scottlunsfordauthor.com, where you can get some of my fiction and nonfiction works, some of my books that I have written. As well as uh, we do also have a few other things like uh, some stuff for sale. We have coffee mugs with the Felon File logo on it. You want to make your coworkers nervous? Drink your coffee at work out of a Felon File mug. That might ought to do it. In the meantime, guys, we'll talk to you all later. You can also pick up a Felon File t-shirt there as well. Love to have you guys out there wearing that. Victoria, go ahead and close this out. You got the control board again. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to the Felon File Podcast with your host, Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast or Scott's books and writings, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com. Scott can also be contacted at these web pages. This is Victoria, your producer. Thank you for listening. I almost forgot. If you would like to support the Felon File podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com backslash felonfile. Here you can buy Scott a cup of coffee or help purchase some of the research material and expenses that it takes to do Felon File. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash felonfile. Once more thank you for listening.